Hello, this is Beyond the Bell with WASTA, Wisconsin's hub for professional development for anyone working in out-of-school time programs and youth-serving organizations. It's our mission to help you provide the highest quality care to children and their families. If you wish you had an extra tool going into programming to help guide behaviors in a productive way, wish you knew more about how to provide the whole family with support, or you want to enhance your own well-being, then this is the home for you. We know what it's like to feel like you never have enough time or resources to meet everyone's needs, and we're here to support you through the challenges. Stay tuned as we explore new ideas and strategies that you can use right away. Rachel Sharon, Health Educator with Marshfield Clinic Health System, Center for Community Health Advancement, and Wisconsin Out of School Time Alliance. We're excited you're listening today to our conversation with Leslie Smith. She's joining us today to talk to us about risk management as it relates to having hard conversations. Leslie Smith started working in out of school time programs while still a high school student herself, and she's been working to support youth and families for the past 25 years. In her current role as elementary specialist for Madison School and Community Recreation, a department of Madison Metropolitan School District, she helps to support 15 elementary after-school programs in the city of Madison. Leslie is passionate about helping families get what they need in an equitable way and creating fun, unique experiences for youth in our programs. She's the mom of three amazing and fiery daughters and enjoys traveling with her husband, walking her two rescue dogs on long weekends up north. This past summer, Leslie was honored to receive the Legends of Out of School Time Award from Madison Out of School Time Most. Welcome, Leslie. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me here today. So it's no secret that despite our almost constant connectivity, people are feeling more alone than ever. In fact, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, one in five Americans report they always or often feel lonely or socially isolated. So while we're discovering new ways of communication that open a lot of doors for many people, we live in a time where many people don't remember what it's like to experience community and connection. This creates an interesting context for those of us working in summer camp, where you could pretty much summarize the job descriptions in the same way. It's our job to create community and build connections for campers and our teams and the communities that we serve. In addition, we're seeing campers struggle in a way that they haven't before. We see behaviors in kids that we never saw before, and we're having a hard time engaging them in activities that are away from screens. So all of this creates situations where we have to problem solve and where we're called to have really tough conversations. We have them with campers, we have them with fellow staff, we have them with leadership, and we even have to have hard conversations with parents. So Leslie, with all the breadth and depth of experience you have in camp settings, will you give us a highlight of your work when it comes to navigating hard conversations? How did it become an interest area for you? Yeah, I think I just am a natural empath and really like people. I also have a hard time when things are not harmonious. And so it kind of has become my role and morphed into this position as like making sure everybody's good and feeling good about themselves and their strengths. And I think in a camp setting, we're all in kind of the business of people and relationships. And that's really where the magic happens. So I've been fortunate enough to work as a supervisor since about 2007. And that has really allowed me to figure out what it means to create a team of people that can communicate well with each other, well with the campers and kids and families that we're serving and be an example of 
what it means to get through tough situations, even when things feel hard and bad, and still keep going and finding kind of the the fun and the light side of things. You mentioned a couple of things that I think is really telling because even though hard conversations maybe probably aren't comfortable a lot of the time or they might bring up conflict sometimes, you mentioned all these positive things like feeling good, magic happening, seeing the benefit of the work. I mean, it makes me think that you've kind of seen the payoff and that it's worth kind of having those tough conversations in the front end. Yeah, I think always connecting it back to your why, whether it's your mission statement or just your personal philosophy about why you're doing the work that you're doing and trying to evaluate and reflect on, like, do we need to have this conversation in order to continue working towards our why and keeping that at the center of things? I have a picture in my office somewhere that says, when you think about quitting, remember why you started. And I think that's really telling. We all come in with our different why. But if we're moving in the same direction as part of the same organization or the same program, then we still can do just that. We can keep moving. Hard conversations are hard conversations for a reason because they're hard, right? They're not always very comfortable. It's something that I have really had to practice and now I'm encouraging the people that I directly supervise and support to continue to practice because it doesn't come naturally to everybody to be able to say something that might be hard to receive or to hear to someone, especially if you're talking about a peer or a grown-up to a kid that you're serving when you have to tell them something really hard about the person that they love most in the entire world, right? Their child. But the only way that it gets better and easier is by doing it. It will never be, oh, this means nothing, because if it means nothing, saying a hard thing to someone, you're not feeling the empathy or the relationship to the child or the grown-up in the way that you should if you're really there, again, focusing kind of on that why. Yeah. I mean, even as you're talking, I felt my heart rate go up a little bit, just picturing like having to have that conversation with a parent. And I'm somebody that has had really tough conversations as a social worker. But I think that just goes to show that these aren't just natural conversations. Like that sparks our survival instinct. Like our heart beats a little faster. We might get a little sweaty. And that's natural. And that's probably the sign that we have to have that hard conversation. It's still important and worthwhile. Yeah. And there are things that you can do, I think to help press on through that initial anxiety about the conversation. Because not having the conversation is not always an option, right? I mean, we have to, in order to keep everybody safe, in order to keep being able to provide services to kids, to families, keep our team a cohesive unit, you have to do it. You know, and so there are things I think that you can do through practice or role playing even with someone, a supervisor or a coworker, coming in with your kind of go to responses or questions, maybe even a little list of I know I have to tell you these three details the rest of the time I can listen and do more listening than talking. I think Each time you do it, you feel, not that it's easy, but you feel a little bit more comfortable. So you do kind of sometimes just have to push yourself to have the conversation, even when you don't want to, for that why, to keep that mission moving forward. Absolutely. 
So with some of the things you can do in mind, I'm curious, what are some of like the red flags or the warning signs that would tell us like, now is the time you have to have a hard conversation? How would we know that that's really something that is our next step? I think that for us as providers for youth, I think safety is often our bottom line. There are some things that maybe process-wise might be a little bit different or, you know, whatever that aren't too big of a deal. But if safety is compromised, I think that's when it is like, okay, I have to step in here. I have to say something regardless of your role, regardless if you're a camp counselor, if you're, you know, maybe there to help with inclusion and support kids who need accommodations or you're the site director, your role is, I think safety is always has to be our bottom line, emotional, physical, mental safety. I think a lot of us, because we enjoy working with people, we can kind Kind of do the like vibe check in a space, right? Where you can you can walk into a room and or playground or whatever, and you can notice, you can feel right away if there's tension, if there's you know, if generally people are enjoying themselves or if something else is going on there. I think that's also a red flag. It sounds funny because you can't really put your finger on like look for X, Y, and Z. But if the vibe is off, we want it to feel like a safe environment for everyone. And if people in the space are unhappy, that trickles down into many other areas. So I think those are things, if there's a change in a relationship or a change in how someone is treating you, say there's a family pickup and every single day for the last two weeks, the grown-up has gotten out of the car and come inside and been social And then all of a sudden they're not. And you think, oh, huh, I haven't seen them in a couple of days. That's different. That wasn't the normal routine we had. That might be somebody I want to check in with. So just noticing those things. When I think we're going to get into some of this, but I mean, a hard conversation doesn't have to be confrontational by any means. It doesn't have to be like, hey, what's going on with you? But like, how are you doing today? It can start with that, right? Like if you notice the vibe, like, hey, what's going on today? And starting there. I'm curious, just with all the experience you've had, like, what is your experience going into a hard conversation? Like, how do you experience that as a person like in your body? How do you kind of gear up for it and prepare? Yeah. Well, you mentioned your heart racing. A little, I tend to like have very physical signs of stress for sure. So maybe I think you do have to check in with yourself about whether or not you're ready to have this conversation. And I think for me, it's coming in as ready as I can, expecting the best outcome, but being ready for the worst. (laughs) So preparing myself with a list of even one or two questions that you can use to get the conversation going, it helps me. And I've done this also with some of the site directors that I supervise to talk it through first, practice it, right? Because When you say the actual words, it gets just a little bit easier each time you say them. So if you know that you can successfully at least explain the problem and ask them some sort of an open-ended question, then the, the hardest part is getting things started. Once it's started, usually if you can listen and come at it from an empathetic standpoint where you're trying to seek understanding, you're not always just moving forward with making sure you say what you need to say, but that you're really taking the time to actually listen to what the person is saying, because maybe your perspective is wrong. Your perspective is your perspective, right? And I think that there are things, like I said, like safety that 
considered non-negotiable, but there still might be a rationale that the person can provide about why they chose to do what they did or allowed what they allowed or whatever the situation might be. But I would really encourage you to find somebody that you trust and to practice. Yeah, all of this sounds so manageable. I mean, you mentioned like come up with a list of either things you need to say or questions, but like the list can be just a few things. It's just taking that time to just pause for a second, putting some intentionality around it. Saying those things out loud is so powerful and reassuring. And if you need to speak something, kind of check the perception of the other person. And then I just love what you said about like reframing that moment. Like you're going in curious and allowing that other person to have a story. So you don't have to go into these hard conversations knowing all the answers, which I imagine is just a huge relief for some people who think they probably have to come up with everything on their own. But just being able to say, this is what you're noticing and hear the feedback from somebody else and dig into it. Like it's just a start. Yeah. I think that that's my go-to and somebody taught me this a long time ago and I've used it in probably almost every hard conversation that I've had to have since then, which is just simply stating what you noticed. I noticed that on the playground today, the kids were climbing on the outside of the slide. Talk to me about that. So you're stating what you saw or maybe identifying the problem. You're not putting the blame necessarily on one specific person about like, I saw you letting the kids climb on the outside of the slide. You know, that's not allowed. Why would you do that? Has a very different feel than I noticed the kids climbing on the outside of the slide. Talk to me about what was going on. So just the simple talk to me about that. Or is there anything you'd like to help me understand about that? can be really helpful tools in getting the conversation going and taking a little bit of that pressure off of yourself. You know, if they have nothing to say, they'll have nothing to say. Nine times out of 10, I've had people be like, yeah, you're, I forgot. I'm sorry. My bad. And you're like, cool. Thank you. (laughs) Like this wasn't that bad. Right. Thank you for acknowledging that. Moving forward, you know, what do you think we can do differently to make sure that everyone's safe? So that just simply asking them to talk with you about that, I think, is one of my pro tips that it's easy. That's an easy change to make. As you were giving that example, like I just could feel how neutral it was and how opening it was, how non-judgmental. I think it's a really powerful example, too, because it's so simple and Odds are it's not life or death, right? Hopefully, right? That's the scenario. But I think it shows how if you can have these conversations in those little moments, just like the everyday day in, day out as you're managing programming, then if something harder comes up, it's going to be also be easy to have those conversations. Yeah be regulated, hear from the other person's perspective. I also love what you said before about how you're going in assuming kind of the best, but also kind of prepared for the worst. So I'm curious what advice you have for those situations. Like what if the response isn't neutral and it's actually explosive or it's really, it feels out of control. What do you do in those situations? I think you could say, like, kind of call it out into the room and ask if they'd like to take a break. I think it's okay for you to say, it seems to me that this conversation is upsetting to you and I would like to continue it later. Or I think you could even say, it's perfectly fine to ask for a break from the conversation. I think once you have a conversation with somebody and you know that that potential is there, I always appreciate being able to give someone a heads up. Say you're a supervisor in a role where you have to discipline a staff and you know that 
or even a teammate or something like that. You have to talk with them about something that's hard. We'll get to parents in a second because I think that can be even trickier. But if you can start the conversation and let them know what you're going to be talking about so they don't feel so blindsided, I think that that's a helpful tool in like diffusing a situation before it even becomes a situation. If you have to have a meeting with a coworker or with a, a team member or something like that, sending them an email or a text just like, hey, I wanted to give you a heads up that today when you arrive, I'd like to spend a couple of minutes checking in with you about X, Y, and Z. You're not coming off as like, we need to have a meeting, you're in big trouble. But it gives them a chance to know what they're walking into because sometimes people feel, you know, if you sit down and you're being disciplined, your immediate response might to feel really defensive. And that's when conversations can get kind of escalated. I think with a parent or a family member, you can do the same thing. When you pick up so-and-so today from program, I'd like to check in with you about this issue that we had so that, you know, sometimes parents or grown-ups, because they, like I said, really feel protective over their child, they might come in ready to be like, no way. I mean, I've literally dealt with that situation where a grown-up has been like, my child did not do that. Okay, <laughs> you know, like, I totally understand why this is upsetting to you. Here's what's going to happen. Focusing on the concrete facts and not adding all of the fluff. And it is our job to listen. But I think, again, going back to that why, it is also our job to keep everybody safe and have everybody have a positive experience, including the kid who's might be not making the best choices at this time. That you can move that conversation from, I've told you what happened. We're not, we're done with that part. Now let's shift our conversation to how we're going to continue to work together to make sure that we can be successful moving forward. And you don't have to focus a huge long amount of time on what happened. Like what happened is what happened. Let's figure out where we're going, what's happening next and restating that your goal is to make sure that this is a positive environment for everybody. Whether you're talking to a staff, um, whether you're talking to your teammate, whether you're talking to even the things that we put in place to problem solve with children are often really similar to the things we need to put in place to problem solve with grownups. Kids are people and the practices that we have about listening and restoring a relationship, those all actually translate pretty well to any stressful situation. Absolutely. I think that goes back to what you've been saying along about like our why and kind of the big picture. And that's so grounding to think about. And also just a reminder that we all have those tools because we're doing it every day with the kids in program. And so it's just a matter of kind of translating that over. Maybe you use a different word or you start right. the conversation differently, but it's the same conversation we have all day with the kids when we're problem solving. I think uh, something I maybe would add to that as well is to ask people how they want to be communicated with. We have a staff and we have a team kind of survey. We try really hard to have meetings at the start of program with kids who we maybe have identified already that they might have some challenging behaviors that we're going to try and work through in camp. And that's one of the questions we ask the grownups. How frequently do you want to be communicated with? How do you want us to communicate with you? Do you want us to call you? Do you want us to text you? You know, if you're at work, what does that look like? So that we come in with a kind of a plan 
together, if there should be a problem, what feels respectful to you, you know, as far as your time and your other responsibilities outside of here. And even if it's a conversation with someone on your team, they might be really uncomfortable with if I get an email or something in the evening. I'm I'm a stewer. I'm an overthinker, right? So where one person might be happy to get that email and know what's coming and like know what they're walking into, that might be like the worst thing for someone else, right? Because now they have to worry, worry, worry about what's happening. So ask people, talk, make a plan about that. And all of this really boils down to your relationship with them and knowing who you're working with, who your co-teachers are, who your co-counselors are, and like who they are and how they communicate. And as a leader, being able to change your approach Instead of kind of this one size fits all, we're going to have a hard conversation and this is what makes me the most comfortable. So here's what I'm doing. Yeah, I think what you're saying is so powerful because I think about in terms of relationship building, how if you just have to go in blind and talk to someone you've never met before, if it's a parent or a grandparent coming in and programming, having a hard conversation. That's really hard to do. You already had a conversation talking about how do you want this information? How much do you want? How do you want us to give you this? What kind of words? Like, how do we know if you're stressed out? All these things get you that much further in that relationship building. And so it just seems that much more comfortable. Not easy, but you have a foundation to kind of build from there. We also talk a lot to programs about don't just share the hard stuff too. Like also have conversations where you're painting a whole picture. And I wonder what you think about that too, of like when it's important to share all of the things going on for campers or how you share that information. I mean, we all only so have so much time. But I imagine just only ever hearing when there's a concern would be really hard for a caregiver, really hard for a staff person. Absolutely. I had a a staff person for many years, and she's still actually working in out-of-school time and camp programs. She's like, you know, everybody's work mom or grandma at this point, right? You can picture it. And she would always say about caregivers and parents, they're sending us their best. Everybody's trying their best. They are parenting and providing the best that they know how to do. And they're sending us, they're sharing with us their most precious like human being on earth. And that in itself is a gift. And if you can look at it and not be judgy about someone is sending us their very best that they know how to do, like their best version of of themselves, whether it's there are challenges or not, I think coming into it with the viewpoint of I am, you know, you hear a lot of people say like presuming positive intentions. I think that's almost like a buzzword at this point. Like, what does that mean? Right? Like, what does it actually mean that I'm going to check any of my judgments or assumptions about what might be going on in this situation and come ready to listen and to allow caregivers and parents to give us feedback as well, right? And to focus on what's next. I think that sometimes we say, we're having this challenge in behavior. This is what happened. This is what's going to happen if it happens again. We don't really get to that. Do you have any recommendations for us? How would you want to come look at our space and see if there are things that you can identify that are different from at home and allowing caregivers to be the expert on their own child. And hopefully that relationship feels different than just your kids naughty and they're in trouble. Valuing their input and 
knowing that they're the expert on their own own kid. I love how you started that with the idea of kind of like our OST grandma. And I think the archetypal grandma, not every grandma, but like you can kind of channel this energy of like supportive and nurturing Mm -hmm. and just this wisdom and like being able to let go. And I think that's kind of what this person was modeling and kind of what you're talking about is coming in from that supportive perspective and then allowing that relationship and that, that conversation to really happen without having any attachment to one outcome or kind of letting that happen naturally too. That also takes a load off, it feels like. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So Leslie, you've given us so much about just like how to prepare, how to handle yourself before, during, after, but is there anything we miss? Like what else do we need to bring into this conversation to make it complete? I would offer a couple of other things, I guess. One of them is to is just a reminder to check in with yourself before you go into this. We all carry our own baggage and we all carry our own perceptions or, or traumas. And you want to make sure that anything that is shading how you're looking at a situation, any of your own bias, is checked at the door. And I think something I like to ask myself is if the energy that I'm bringing to this conversation is matched by the person that I'm talking to, is that helpful or is that harmful right now? You know what I mean? So if I'm not in a space where if they were acting in the exact same way, that this conversation would be productive, then right now is not the time to have this conversation. Or maybe I'm not the person, right? Maybe you're not the person. Maybe this child or your coworker or whoever it may be, I think you have to know whether or not you are the right person to have that conversation. And some of that might be based on your history. I think you could find ways if their relationship is damaged to use these conversations to repair some of that relationship. But just because you're the boss or the leader in the classroom or whatever does not always mean that you are the right person to bring out what you need to be brought out in that in that conversation and then you have to you have to be reflective if there's a problem and you have to talk about it we almost always I think could identify something that we could do differently in the situation as well and being vulnerable and sharing that when you're having the conversation kind of evens the power dynamics that might be happening there as well. Here's what I'm going to do differently moving forward so that I can help to hold you, us both, accountable in this situation. And I think that this could also help because it will make sure everybody's safe or it will align more with our mission or, you know, whatever the situation might be. And also, I I guess I would say that We can only control what we can control and we can go into a hard conversation with the best of intentions and with emotional scaffolding in place if that's what's needed. We can ask for a break. We can do all of these things that we're talking about. But at the end of the day, if a person is having a reaction to what you're saying, it's most often not about you. And you sometimes just kind of have to shake it off and come back at it from a different angle the next day. It's not their negative reaction is not always yours to carry. And if you can let go of that a little bit, that's easy to say, hard to do. (laughs) But if someone is, is upset with you, I think it's important to remind yourself that it may not always be about you. It might be something else that they're kind of grappling with or feeling defensive about. 
I think what you're giving us is like three really powerful permission slips here at the end. You're talking about, are you the right person? Because thinking about if you're the person that's been in charge of maybe this kid that you have to have a hard conversation about and you've been at it for hours and hours, it's really hard to think in your logical brain and have mm-hmm. a productive conversation at that point. So is that when you tap a teammate and ask yep. for help? You're, it's, you're giving us permission to do exactly that. It's okay to not have to see everything through to the very last step, as long as you are making sure that it's addressed. And then you're also talking about use this as a growth opportunity for yourself. Sometimes it's these hardest situations where we like expand our own selves and like we learn and we grow. And that's just like such a other really good reframe for this whole situation. And then the, the last one that you said is so important of just not taking it personally. And like you said, easier said than done, of course, but <laughs> that we don't have to own all of the frustration. We don't have to own all of the problem and that we played our part and we did what we can do and letting that go at the end of the day. I think it reserves some of your energy so that you can show back up that next day for camp. Absolutely. All right, Leslie. Well, you've given us a lot of good stuff to think about here. And thank you again for diving into this topic with us. And thank you all for listening in. We hope you leave today with a few more tools in your toolbox. Be sure to visit our website and sign up for our email to reach your information about all of our upcoming professional development opportunities.